morning, everyone. It's really good to see you. I bring greetings from Stellan Park Baptist Church. It's uh, it's been a while since I've I've uh, I've I've preached for you guys. Usually, people don't invite me back, so thank you for for doing that. Hopefully, you won't regret it. Uh, we're going to be in a great passage this morning, John chapter ten. So, if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. And to, to keep that passage open as well. Yeah, we're going to be in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. Yeah, but before I read it, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you're a God who speaks. And we desperately need to hear you speak to us this morning. Yeah, Lord, we need Jesus. We need the good news of the gospel today. We need it more than we even know we need it. And so we pray that you would speak to us, that you would show us the Lord Jesus, give us a glimpse of his glory, and would you help us to delight in him, trust in him, live for him. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Okay, John chapter one, uh, 10, verse, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Well, my wife and I 
used to live in England. And uh, for those of you that don't know, I was I was born and bred in Britain. But my my wife Heidi, she was born and raised in the great and beautiful state of Washington. And shortly after we got married, we uh, we moved to England. And maybe a year or so after that, my wife Heidi, her family came to England to visit us. And so as you can imagine, since I'd moved their daughter halfway across the world, I wanted to impress them. And I wanted to impress them with my great country, you know, to make them feel like the American Revolution was one giant mistake. And so I naturally took them to the English countryside. And so if you've ever been to the English countryside, then you'll know that it's a beautiful place. It's got rolling hills, old stone walls, lush trees, and countless innumerable sheep. They're everywhere. You can always see them. You can always hear them. You can even always smell them. And I remember driving down this quaint, winding road, and I have all my in-laws stuffed into my tiny European car, and everything was just so peaceful. It was a great day, but then all of a sudden, out of the blue, a flock of sheep just ran out into the road, and there were loads of them, and they were going crazy. They were running into each other. They were running into ditches. They were they were running into cars. At first, I thought it was some sort of uh, exodus-like plague of judgment sent from the Lord, uh, but I, I kept on driving, trying to navigate myself through this flock, and as I was trying to be as careful as I could, but sheep just kept on running around the car, and I thought to myself, man, these these sheep are are just stupid. Like, they're going to kill themselves. But then, out of nowhere, came this mysterious figure with, with mud on his boots and sweat on his brow and fire in his eyes. It was the shepherd. And he'd come to rescue his wandering sheep. And I, in my tiny European car, was as good as a wolf. He was clearly worried that I was going to run over one of his sheep. And so this shepherd looked at me like in the eyes. And the look on his face was was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. And then he started to scream at me. He was like this, get out the way. That was his accent. Get out the way. Screaming at me. It wasn't my fault. It was his sheep. And for a moment... I honestly thought it was the end. But then I noticed that there was this break in the flock. It was like the parting of the Red Sea. It was glorious. And so I put my foot down and I I just got out of there as fast as I could. But I learned something that day, something that I knew in theory, but not yet in practice. And that was this, sheep need a shepherd. And not just any shepherd, they need a good shepherd, someone that's going to go after them when they wander. Somebody that's going to seek them and save them at all costs. Now, when I read our passage a moment ago, you'd have noticed that Jesus talks a lot in this passage about sheep and shepherds. And he's not talking here about literal sheep and literal shepherds. He's using metaphors here to communicate important truths, truths that... The people back then needed to hear, and even the people in this room need to hear today. 
But before we look at what Jesus says in more detail, I think it's worth to step back and consider some of the historical and biblical background to this passage. Because Jesus uses word pictures in this passage that would have been really familiar to his audience. So sheep were everywhere in the biblical world. They were a little bit like deer in Northern Virginia. You just couldn't escape them. In fact, sheep are the most referenced animal in the Bible. Now, sheep weren't left to fend for themselves. Rather, they were completely dependent on shepherds for protection. Uh, The shepherds would provide water and shelter. Uh, They tend to any injuries or chase away any predators. In fact, without a shepherd, sheep wouldn't really survive very long. This is partly due to being defenseless. However, it's also due to them being unintelligent. So sheep were just very prone to wander. Uh, They would often get lost and then they'd be unable to find their way back to the sheepfold. Therefore, sheep needed a shepherd. And so shepherds were also very common in the ancient world. Without shepherds, there would be far less sheep. And sheep were really important for things like wool and food and sacrifices. And so shepherds were a really important part of what was an agrarian society. And they would work long hours, day and night, rain or shine, to protect and guide their sheep. Shepherds were also symbols of leadership and authority to the animals under their care. And throughout the Bible, we see that sheep and shepherds are used as important metaphors. So God often refers to his people as sheep. Like sheep, God's people often go astray. They are vulnerable. They need a shepherd to protect and guide and save them. And so it shouldn't surprise us that God is often referred to as the shepherd of his people. He's the one who guides and protects his sheep. He's the one who possesses leadership and authority over his flock. He's the one who saves and gathers his sheep when they wander. Maybe the most famous example of this is the passage we read earlier, Psalm 23, where David declares, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So in the Bible, God is the ultimate shepherd. What's maybe surprising is that the shepherd metaphor is not limited to God only. You see, God also applied the term shepherd to the leaders of his people. For example, God said to David in 2 Samuel chapter 5, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel. The leaders of Israel were meant to image God by guiding and protecting and ruling and caring for God's people. They're what we might call under-shepherds. However, the shepherds of Israel failed miserably in their task. So in Ezekiel chapter 34, God denounces the leaders of Israel for being bad shepherds. And what I'd like us to do is just maybe read a little chunk of Ezekiel 34 now, because I think it it contains some really important background to our passage in John chapter 10. So maybe just... uh, Keep your finger in John chapter 10 and turn to Ezekiel 34. I think you'll be, I think you'll be helped by seeing this passage. Uh, We're going to be in Ezekiel 34. And we're just going to read the first 
10 verses. <clears throat> so John chapter 10 is a very familiar passage to many of us, but I think Ezekiel 34 will will help you appreciate John 10 in a different light. <clears throat> so Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. <clears throat> so do you see what was happening here? So the leaders of God's people in the Old Testament, the shepherds, they were not protecting or guiding or caring for God's sheep. Rather, they were using their positions of power to selfishly oppress and harm and take advantage of the flock entrusted to them. So God declares in, in verse 10 of Ezekiel 34, I am against the shepherds. In other words, there's a type of leader who isn't a good shepherd. There are actually bad shepherds who harm and oppress the flock of God. And this is very significant as we approach John chapter 10. Because when we get to John chapter 10, there's a, there's a connection between John 10 and John chapter 9. Because in John chapter 9, Jesus is denouncing the religious leaders of his day. And he says to them that they are spiritually blind. They thought that they were leading God's people. They thought they knew God and they were leading God's people. They thought they were good shepherds, but they were mistaken. And it's in that context that Jesus says in John chapter 10, well, he begins in verse one there and he repeats in verse seven, truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, this was Jesus' way of saying, hey, listen up, everyone. Because what I'm about to tell you is really important. And in verse 1 of John chapter 10, Jesus begins with a parable. He describes a sheepfold, which was usually a small area of land where sheep were kept. Around this area of land, there would have been a fence that had a door or a gate. Oftentimes, the door would even have a, a gatekeeper who would make sure that thieves and robbers were kept out. And in Jesus' parable, the door is the only legitimate way 
into the sheepfold. So in verse 1 there, he says, if anyone climbs into the sheepfold another way without using the door, he's a thief and a robber. The true shepherd of the sheep enters by the door in verse 2. To him, the gatekeeper opens, verse 3. When the shepherd enters, the sheep hear his voice and he calls them by name and he leads them out. Then in verse 4, there's a picture of the shepherd walking in front of his sheep and they all follow him because they know his voice. So the the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they recognize his voice. However, in verse 5, Jesus mentions a stranger who approaches the sheep. He's not the shepherd, and so the sheep refuse to follow him. And why don't they follow him? Jesus says, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So there's a contrast in this parable between the shepherd of the sheep and what we might call the bad shepherds. The shepherd enters by the door. The bad shepherds climb in another way. The sheep know and follow the voice of the shepherd. However, they do not know or follow the voice of of the bad shepherds. Unfortunately, in verse six there, Jesus' audience do not understand what he's saying to them. We'll, we'll come back to the significance of that in a moment. And so in verse seven, Jesus interprets his parable. He wants to be crystal clear. And Jesus tells us three things in his interpretation. And it's these three things that I just want us to think about for the rest of our time this morning. So the first thing, Jesus tells us about the shepherd who dies. The shepherd who dies. In verse 11, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. He's the one who enters through the door. He's the one whom the sheep listen to. And once again, it's important that we grasp the significance of Jesus' statement. Because he's not just pulling this title, a good shepherd. He's not just pulling that out of thin air. We've already seen that Israel's shepherds failed miserably. But notice what God promised in Ezekiel 34. I'll read a couple of verses. He says this in verses 11 to 12. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's coming, sorry, when he's among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. God promised to come and shepherd his people. He would seek his scattered sheep. He would rescue his lost flock. But notice what God says next in that Ezekiel passage. He says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So God makes two promises in Ezekiel. Firstly, he promises to shepherd his people. And secondly, he promises to send a shepherd for his people. And notice that this promised shepherd will be in the line of King David. In other words, this promised shepherd is none other than the Messiah, the Christ. But years go by, hundreds of years go by, and there's no there's no answer to this promise. And so God's people are waiting for the fulfillment of these promises. But then Jesus shows up one day and he declares, I am the good shepherd. 
And when he does that, he's making an astonishing claim. Firstly, he's claiming to be the Messiah, the Christ, the one shepherd whom God promised to send. But secondly, alongside the I am statements, he's making a claim to divinity. Jesus is, is, is not just saying I have been sent from God. He's also saying that he is God himself in the flesh coming to shepherd his sheep. Three times in our passage, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what makes him a good shepherd? We'll look again at verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is unlike the hired hand in verse 12, who he's not a shepherd. The hired hand doesn't own the sheep. Therefore, when he sees the wolf coming, Jesus says, rather than saving the sheep, he just saves himself. He leaves the sheep and flees. And as a result, Jesus says, the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And why does he flee? Look at verse 13, because he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is contrasting himself with the religious leaders of his day. Because he does care for the sheep. He knows his sheep and they know him. Verse 14. Jesus cares so much for his sheep that he lays down his life for them. Five times in this passage, Jesus says he will lay down his life for the sheep. He says it in verse 11, in verse 15, in verse 17. He says it twice in verse 18. He doesn't want us to miss this statement. And we need to understand that Jesus is is dropping a bombshell of nuclear proportions here. Because the death of the shepherd for his flock was not mentioned in Ezekiel 34. After all, why on earth would a shepherd lay down his life for sheep? It sounds ludicrous. I mean, after all, sheep are replaceable. A shepherd's life is worth way more than a sheep's life. And think about who Jesus is. He isn't just any old shepherd. Remember how John's gospel begins? Jesus is the incarnate word of God. He's the eternal son of God. His life is of infinite worth and value. Why on earth would Jesus lay down his life for sheep? Maybe a better question to ask is this. What situation was so perilous, so dangerous, that it necessitated the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep? Well, the Bible says that you and I are like sheep who've wandered into danger. We have gone astray and become lost. We have rebelliously left the sheepfold of God and sought to live life on our own terms. We've, we've not wanted the leadership and authority of the good shepherd. We've not wanted his guidance or his protection or his provision. Instead, we've decided that we want to be our own shepherd. We would like to be our own authority. We'd like to provide for ourselves, to protect ourselves, to guide ourselves. Each one of us have, have sought to live life as we please, often ignoring the voice of the good shepherd. And the Bible calls this mindset, this heart condition, many things. One of the things it says is, it calls it is, is sin. And in our sinful wandering, we've ended up in a perilous place. We've, we've separated ourselves from God. We, we've incited his just and holy wrath. And we're deserving of his judgment to eternal death. 
And so it's only if God does something about our sin, only if he can do something about our rebellion, can he actually bring us back into the fold. Only then can we be reconciled to God. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to deal with our sin. He came to bring us back into the fold. He came to reconcile us to God. And since the wages for sin is death, the only way Jesus could do that is by dying in our place. And later on in John's gospel, that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus is nailed to a Roman cross and he dies as a sacrifice for sin. And this was God's plan all along. So in Isaiah 53 verse 6, we read this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Peter alludes to that passage when he declares this about Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Just think about how shocking this is. We... We were all straying like sheep, ignoring God, hating God, rebelling against God. Yet the good shepherd still gave his life to bring us back to God. In a shock and twist, the good shepherd became the sacrificial sheep. The lamb of God took away the sins of the world. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, defeat and death. So he says in verse 17 of our passage, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And notice that this mission was given to him by the father, verse 18. This charge I have received from my father. In love, God gave his only son. Yet Jesus wasn't a powerless victim. He willingly gave up his life. Again, look at verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Notice the control that Jesus has over everything that happened to him. So in Jesus, we have a shepherd who is graciously loving yet immensely powerful. He lays down his life for his sheep and he rescues them from sin and death. And then he gloriously raises himself from the grave in victory. Brothers and sisters, let the wonder of this sink in. (laughs) I mean, we're just sheep. I mean, step back a second and just take an honest assessment of your life. Do you remember how lost you once were? I mean, even now, aren't you just so prone to wonder? How many times have you sought to live life on your own terms? Think of all the ways that you've gone astray. Think of all the times when you've rebelled against God's authority, when you've scorned his guidance and doubted his provision and ignored his voice. Even just this past week. But here's the good news. When we were stuck in a ditch, sinking in the mire of our own sin, hopelessly heading towards death. 
Then our shepherd came for us. He came to seek and to save the lost. When we were utterly helpless, absolutely foolish, totally oblivious, completely stubborn and inescapably doomed, the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. I mean, that's how valuable you are to your shepherd. That's how loved you are. It doesn't make sense. Like, how can it be? But it's true. We are bad sheep, yet we have a good shepherd. We are great sinners, but we have a great savior in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But this brings us, but this brings up a question, doesn't it? Who are the sheep of the good shepherd? Is everyone one of Jesus' sheep? Well, this brings us to our second point this morning. The sheep who listen. I once spent a year living in the English countryside. And so as you can imagine, I have, I have a lot of sheep stories, too many to tell this morning. Uh, but I remember going on a walk one day and this, this walk involved uh, climbing over an old stone wall and, and cutting through a field as a lot of, a lot of walks do in the English countryside. And, and like a lot of fields in that part of the world, this field was, was littered with sheep. And these sheep looked perfectly content. You know, they were bleating away, eating grass, taking nap, eating grass, taking naps. They were just living the dream, really. But once I climbed that wall and set foot in that field, everything changed. The sheep got visibly nervous. They stopped eating. They they huddled together. They they slowly started moving backwards. Now. Being the animal lover that I am, I, I wanted to put them at ease. I wanted to assure them that I was no threat. So I tried to pet one of them. Big mistake. Because the sheep freaked out. The flock went ballistic. There was this cacophony of, of bleating that I sometimes still hear in the middle of the night when I wake up. It's, and they ran to the other side of the field. And then, and so rather than just, you know, just move on. I, I tried to call them. I don't even know how you call a sheep, but, but I gave it my best shot. But then the sound of my voice did nothing to soothe them. It just, it just seemed to make them more agitated. As far as, as far as they were concerned, I was just a stranger. I was like a wolf. They didn't know me. And so they didn't listen to my voice. So as I, as I left, the, the field feeling slightly insecure and rejected I I heard the sound of this vehicle and so I turned around and out of that vehicle stepped a man and he too entered the same field but the reaction of the sheep was completely different as he approached them they didn't run away but they drew near when he called them they didn't scatter but they followed. It became evident that this person knew these sheep and they knew him. That this wasn't a stranger like me. No, this was the shepherd. Now in John chapter 10, Jesus says that the sheep know the voice of the good shepherd. So in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice. And in verse 4, they follow him. Why? For they know his voice. However, they do not listen to the voice of strangers. You see that in verses 5 and 7. 
Jesus has already told us how to identify the good shepherd. He's the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Now he's going to tell us how to identify the sheep. The sheep are those who listen to his voice. That means anyone can be one of Jesus' sheep. So in verse 16, Jesus declares that he has other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, other sheep outside of Israel. He's referring to the the Gentiles, the non-Jews of the world. He declares, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Uh, To be a sheep of Jesus, it has nothing to do with national identity or ethnicity or religious background. Uh, The true sheep of Jesus are those who listen to his voice. Uh, That's how you know if you're part of the flock or not. So let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus' voice? Are you listening to the voice of the good shepherd? So in verse 11, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What's your response to that statement? Do you believe what Jesus is saying here? Do you believe that you need a good shepherd? You need someone to lay down his life for you. That you need a savior who will pay the price for your sin because you cannot pay it on your own. When you hear Jesus' voice here and he tells you that he's your good shepherd, does your heart respond with faith and trust and even joy? And if because if it does, I think that sounds like one of Jesus' sheep. That sounds like a Christian. Even so, it's easy to deceive ourselves, isn't it? Because a true hearer of Jesus' word is also a doer of Jesus' word. So here are some questions for self-examination. Are you listening to Jesus' words in the Bible and doing what it says, what he says? You know, do you you nod in agreement during the sermon but perpetually fail to apply it to your life? Is there an area of your life that you're willingly being disobedient in and have no intention to turn away from? Are you currently delighting in sin? Are there commands of Jesus that you're ignoring because you find them to be too burdensome? Are you happy with Jesus being your saviour, but not your Lord? You know, I think if we're honest, brothers and sisters, I think we all struggle with listening to the voice of our good shepherd, don't we? We we, we hear Jesus' words and we know we should... Part of us wants to obey them, but then there's this other part of us that doesn't. And sometimes the part that doesn't wins out. And I think deep down it's because we fail to really believe that he is our good shepherd. We lose sight of his love and his grace. We lose faith in his protection and care. We start believing that true life is to be found outside the flock. That we'd be better off on our own. And so if you're struggling to listen to And to follow the voice of Jesus this morning. And I think that probably includes everyone. On some level. Then spend time gazing at the cross of Jesus. See him there. The Lamb of God. Slain for you. See him there. The good shepherd. Laying down his life. For you. Why would you not listen to him? Why would you keep wondering why would you return to the ditch and wallow in the mire of sin 
the sheep know and listen to the voice of the good shepherd. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways that Jesus shepherds his people is by giving them under shepherds, pastors or elders. So in First Peter, the, the apostle instructs his fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God. Through Christ-like pastors who faithfully teach God's word, God's people hear the voice of their good shepherd. Now, there are lots of implications of this, but one implication is this. I think if you're one of the guys in this church, then I'd encourage you to aspire to be an elder. This is such a noble calling, as Paul says, to shepherd the flock of God on behalf of the good shepherd. And if you, if you don't aspire to, to the office, then let me ask you, why not? Do you have a more noble aspiration? Is there a sin in your life that's holding you back from aspiring to shepherd God's people? <clears throat> are, you, are you allowing the busyness and distractions of, of Northern Virginia to rob Christ's sheep of a potential under-shepherd? And what can be a more worthy goal than helping Christ's sheep hear the voice of their good shepherd? You know, I think we, we, we have even in our own church guys who who could be potential, who are potential shepherds of God's flock. But there are things in their lives that, that that are getting in the way of that. And it's such a shame. And I wouldn't want that to happen here. In light of God's, in, in Jesus' words, in this passage, do you see how striking verse 6 is? Look at verse 6. <clears throat> but they did not understand what he was saying to them. <clears throat> or look at verses 19 to 20. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? <laughs> Isn't that striking? Their response is tragically ironic. The people are totally deaf to the good shepherd's voice. They hear his voice and rather than think good shepherd, they think evil demon. And maybe you've had a similar reaction. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you've read the Bible and you've heard Jesus' voice and you've thought, this is insane. I don't need anyone to die for my sin. I'm a, I'm a good person. I don't, I don't deserve God's wrath. I don't need to submit to or follow, follow anyone. I'm, I'm my own authority. Or maybe your reaction to Jesus is a little less abrasive. But maybe you've read the Bible, you've heard Jesus' voice, and you've thought, well, Jesus said and did some really interesting things, good things. I don't, I don't think he was demonic. He was a good person. I, I like Jesus. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I can follow him. I, I'm not sure I can entrust my life to him as my shepherd. I'm not sure I could relinquish control to Jesus. You know, maybe you're here this morning, and if you were honest, you don't know the voice of the good shepherd. And what does that mean for you? Well, the Bible says that means you're still lost, still wandering, still in a dangerous and perilous condition. And the gravity of your predicament is really brought home in our third point today. And that's this, the door that saves, the door that saves. So in verse seven, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus uses another metaphor to describe himself here. He's not only the shepherd, but he's the door. He's the only authentic way into the sheepfold. 
However, all who came before him, in verse 8, were thieves and robbers. Therefore, verse 8, the sheep did not listen to them. Jesus repeats himself in verse 9, I am the door. The Bible often uses the image of a door to represent a spiritual entryway. In this context, the door is the way to salvation. We see that in verse 9. All who wish to enter the sheepfold and become part of God's flock must enter through Jesus. And if anyone enters by Jesus, look what he says. He says, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The image Jesus paints for us here is of security and provision and peace and freedom. This is life to the full for a sheep. This is, this is the good life if you're a sheep. And only Jesus offers this kind of salvation for God's sheep. Look at verse 10. The thief, however, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus, on the other hand, came so that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. You know, Jesus switches the metaphor slightly here, but the audience is still the same. The religious leaders were still trying to enter the sheepfold. However, they refused to come through Jesus. They refused to listen to and follow Jesus. I mean, they ultimately nail him to the cross, don't they? Therefore, they were metaphorically climbing into the sheepfold by another way. And so Jesus calls them thieves, trying to steal and destroy God's sheep. You know, there are many thieves out there, aren't there? Many bad shepherds that promise us life, promise us abundant life. Worship these gods, keep these rules, perform these sacrifices, give this much money, follow your heart, Listen to the voice within. Embrace what's true for you. Do whatever makes you happy. Devote yourself to this political party. And you will have life and have it abundantly. You know, these bad shepherds promise life, but they kill and destroy. Well, think of all the voices we hear in Northern Virginia. Dedicate yourself to buying this home. Getting this job, building this family, owning more stuff, making more money, earning people's approval. Devote yourself to these things, even if it means sacrificing your spiritual life, even if it means neglecting your church family. Devote yourself to these things instead and you'll have life and you'll have it abundantly. But these things never deliver the good life they promise, do they? Religion, morality, materialism, worldliness, worldliness, self-expression. All those things that promise us life inevitably bring dissatisfaction and destruction and, and ultimately death. Jesus, on the other hand, has come to give life. And it's only in Jesus that abundant life can be found. There is no other door into God's sheepfold. Jesus says something similar a few chapters later in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the exclusive entry point into the flock of God. Abundant, eternal life is found only in him. So here's what this means. All of the religions and worldviews, all of the philosophies and paths are ultimately pointless, futile, deadly. Jesus is the only way to God. 
Only he has died for our sins. Only he has risen from the grave. And so it's vital that we listen to him, that we recognize his voice, that we trust in his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. So if you haven't done that, then I urge you to do that now. To listen to Jesus, to trust in his death and resurrection, to receive forgiveness for your sins and to be reconciled to God. Only Jesus offers you life. But Jesus doesn't just offer us a get out of jail free card. He didn't come to say, I came so that you might survive. No, he came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. In other words, the good life that we're searching for is found only in Jesus Christ. The peace, the security, the rest, the joy, the comfort, the soul-quenching satisfaction that you and I long for. It's not to be found in being true to ourselves. It's not found in people's approval. It's not found in having a bigger bank account. It's not found in a fitter and healthier body. It's not found in, in getting better grades or a loving spouse or a quiver full of kids. It's not found in the next promotion or the next vacation or the next Snapchat streak. It's not found in a shorter to-do list or an early retirement or a political party. Just examine your heart for a moment. Where are you looking for abundant life? What is it that you think, if only I had that? If only that part of my life was different. If only my life looked like this, that would be the good life. Friends, that's a lie. A change of circumstances won't bring you abundant life. That thing that you desire, even if it's a good thing, won't give you abundant life. That thing that your soul is looking for can only be found in the good shepherd. That's why Jesus says later on in John's gospel, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal abundant life is only found in knowing God. That's what you were made for. That house that you want to buy can't satisfy your soul. That family you want to build can't satisfy your soul. That pleasure you want to experience cannot satisfy your soul. The career you want to achieve cannot satisfy your soul. That retirement you want to enjoy cannot satisfy your soul. The reputation you want to earn cannot satisfy your soul. We could go on and on, but you were made for so much more. You were made for fellowship with the living God. You're a sheep who belongs in the arms of your good shepherd. That means everything you need is already yours in Jesus Christ. You don't need some special source to tap into the good life. You just need to run to Christ again and again and again. Everything you need is found in Jesus. So devote yourself to knowing him more, to trusting him more, to loving him more. He came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. I'm telling you this, I need to hear this too. You know, Tim asked me, what do you want to preach on? And I was like, I I need John, I need need to hear John 10, so I'm going to preach that. I don't know what you need, but I need this, you know? 
I'm serious. Jesus offers us this abundant life that we're just looking for in all these all these things, and they're good things, I'm sure, but they always leave us wanting more. Jesus offers us abundant life. Now, we get a taste of that life now, but a day is coming when this abundant life Jesus promises us will be fully experienced by all who trust in him. And we get a glimpse of that day in Revelation chapter 7, which we read earlier. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, here's what you've got to look forward to. Revelation 7, verse 16 and 17. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your great love, you gave your only son for us. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly laid down your life for wandering sheep like us, that you died so that we could live. And we praise you that you didn't stay dead, that you're risen and that you offer abundant life to all who would listen to you. Would you help us by your spirit to be sheep who listen to your voice in every area of our lives? We ask all these things in your wonderful name. Amen.